I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. On this episode of Newt's World, I'm actually pleasing my daughter, Jackie who is an enormous fan of our guest today. And she recently emailed me and said, having been to New York to listen to John live, Dad, you've got to have John Androsik from the band Five for Fighting on the podcast to talk about his new song about the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan called Blood on My Hands. And so you'll understand why she's so passionate about it. We're going to do something I don't think we've ever done before in my podcast. I want you just to take a minute with me And let's listen to John's song, Blood on My Hands. Got blood on my hands. Got blood on my hands. And I don't understand. There's blood on these hands And still Americans Left her the Taliban Now how's that happening? Willie, Millie, 
tell me, when did you decide this will defend your sacred motto? Now means never mind. Hands. Got blood on my hands. Got blood on my Flag of the Taliban John is the first professional musician we've had on Newt's World, so I'm very pleased that he agreed to join me to discuss his new song and the kind of attention it's been getting. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. As of the day we're recording this, Blood on My Hands has 457,000 views on YouTube, and I recommend to you to look at the YouTube version because he did it very cleverly and has the, the text up there in a way that I think you'll find very, very compelling. Now, long before he did this song, John had an incredible music career. His Grammy-nominated song, Superman, It's Not Easy, became a worldwide hit single, went platinum, and was number one in the adult top 40. Superman became an anthem for the heroes of 9-11, and he performed the song at the concert for New York City. Five for Fighting has sold over two and a half million albums. In addition to making music, John performs for the USO, and is a great supporter of the U.S. military. He's given away five volumes of compilation, CD for the troops, albums to our U.S. Armed Forces. Over a million copies have been distributed 
to soldiers worldwide. I am really pleased to welcome my guest, Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, patriot, John Androsik of Five for Fighting. John, welcome and thank you for joining me. Mr. Speaker, it's an honor and a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me. So why did you decide to write Blood on My Hands? You know, I had no intention of writing a song. I think like all of us, when we saw the initial images coming out of Afghanistan of people falling from planes and women throwing their children over barricades to our soldiers, I was kind of just horrified and stunned. But when our 13 troops were killed and the 100 Afghans, I was angry. Like many of us, I felt that could have been prevented. I did what many artists do. I went up to my piano and I started banging on the piano more as a cathartic exercise than anything. But the song really didn't take shape to a few days later after our last troops left Afghanistan. I got a call from a friend who's my hero, who does amazing humanitarian work around the world. And she said, hey, I need a contact because we are organizing evacs of AMSITs from Afghanistan. And me being the singer guy, I said, well, what's an AMSIT? And she said, American citizen. And I paused and I said to her, are you telling me that you are risking your life and your colleagues' lives to go rescue American citizens we left behind? And she started choking up and said, yes. So that night I wrote a few lines and the song really finished itself when the president came out with his extraordinary success speech, which I think stunned all of us. Maybe not you, sir, you've heard a lot of things, but it stunned me. And when that happened, I expected our generals, because I hold our military in great esteem, I expected General Milley and General Austin to come out and clarify that extraordinary success. But when they came out with the, wow, what a great airlift, I realized that it was a political exercise. This was not a humanitarian exercise, a military exercise. It was a political one, and that scared me. It scared me for our future, and I wrote the Milley-Austin Lincoln lines that night, and I put it out the next day. I'm fascinated since I'm not a musician. My wife is a pianist, a French horn player, and spent 16 years in a professional choir. I'm what's called audience. We need those. (laughs) I know. I'm always told by musicians, this is good. (laughs) This is what we want. But when you're being creative, I notice you start, at least in this conversation, you start with the piano and then go to the words. Do you find that's how you almost always work, that first comes the music, then come the lyrics? You know, there's no rhyme or reason. Sometimes you start with melody, like the piano. Sometimes you start with a page of lyrics. Sometimes you start with a concept. I had a song called 100 Years, which is just about kind of recognizing the moment. And this song kind of started with a concept, and it was interesting how it evolved. I had the blood on my hands idea from the beginning, and when I was writing that, I really didn't have the rest of the verses. And... After the extraordinary success speech, I'm like, well, I need to write a song that calls out Millie and Austin. And I'm like, and then, well, maybe I should put that in the same song. So sometimes songs kind of join each other and there's this kind of hybrid flow. But this one, you know, it really was about the concept. You know, there's been a great history of protest songs in this country. And I thought somebody needed to say it. Nobody was saying it. I was waiting for our great American songwriters to talk about this national shame, this great catastrophe, but nobody was saying it. So I felt I had to say it. Well, I think that's really important because I do think, as you point out, that there's a huge, very long tradition of music mattering and music inspiring people, educating people, mobilizing people. 
And this song, Blood on My Hands, is certainly in that tradition. Now, you've said that Blood on My Hands is a moral message, not a political one. Draw the distinction and explain how your thinking evolves. It is a moral message to me. It's really about two things. When I first wrote it, it's about the American promise. The American promise matters. Our word matters. And when the president came out and said, we will get every American out, and we did not do that. When we said, these SIV holders, that's a written promise. We will take care of you. We did not do that. When we abandoned allies who fought next to our soldiers, the American promise matters to me. And also accountability matters. How can we address our mistakes? How can we think better if there's no accountability for our mistakes? And it is a moral message. I've said this many times, but if Donald Trump was president or a Republican was president and we were in the same situation, I would write the same song. Only the names would change. And of course, in this world, everything is political. And of course, in this world, if Donald Trump was president, I would probably be the toast of the town to those who are shunning the song. And to me, that's another dangerous problem of our society, the tribalism. You're right. There is great protest songs. And I imagine if a Republican were president, there would probably be 20 of them. But there's not. And to me, that is a very dangerous thing for a democracy. I know you talk about it a lot, but it is a moral message. No man left behind is not a Republican slogan or a Democratic one. Accountability is not a Democratic slogan or Republican one. That's the foundations to our democracy. And if we lose that, who are we? And we are going down a dangerous path. Were you worried at all about the cancel culture when you decided to release the song? Of course. <laughs> this is uh, 2021. And I was advised by everyone who loves me, except my dad. My dad's like, do it. Somebody's got to say it because they know the repercussions. But, you know, I remember you said something a few years ago that stuck with me. I forget what radio program I was listening to, but somebody asked you about the culture war and somebody said, how's it going to end? And you said something that I thought was very profound. You said, when one side wins, that's when it's going to end. And for me, there certainly will be fallout. I've already seen some fallout. But compared to what's happening to Afghanistan women and children, compared to what's happening to our veterans who are suffering from this PTSD, any fallout to me is trivial. And if we don't write songs like that, if we don't speak up, if we don't give permission to the next person who may be afraid to write a song like this, we're going to lose that culture war. So I figured, as I said, whatever blowback there is to me in the big picture is trivial. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. 
I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Part of what I was impressed by is that you get right to the heart of it. There is literally blood on the hands of America right now because of the totally dishonorable way. We abandoned our allies from NATO, didn't tell them what we were going to do. We abandoned Americans. We abandoned Afghans who were our allies. We sent a signal to the world of how unreliable America has become. Songs like this that are direct and clear and don't pull any punches are really an important part of the catharsis of beginning to come to grips with where we are as a country and what we have to do. And I'm curious, when you released this song, what was the reaction from Afghan vets, the people who'd served in Afghanistan, I mean, who talked to you about the song? Well, you know, when I first released it, I got thousands of emails, you know, basically saying, thank you for speaking my pain. But I really never understood how deep it was until I started playing the song live. I was on tour for about three weeks and I played 13 shows. And at the end of each show, I would ask my quartet to leave the stage. I was frankly worried about them getting canceled. And I would talk about the song and I would talk about its immoral message. I would talk about how I wrote the song. I would talk about that I'm working every day with my friends on the ground, rescuing Americans in real time. And after the show, veterans would come up to me and Mr. Speaker, some of them could not even talk. They were so emotional. They were so upset. They were so ashamed. They would just kind of mumble, thank you for speaking about the song. And we would just hug. And it was also active people too. I played in Annapolis and I had some active sailors come up and they would say, thank you for saying what we're feeling. We can't say it out loud or we'll get court-martialed or dismissed. So I never realized how important it was to our vets. And I've actually expanded my mission now to include veterans and include our Afghan vets and make sure that they're being heard and be a voice for them because I'm not sure they're getting the attention they deserve from the VA 
as the administration seems to want to just kind of push this under the rug. I've had several friends who are retired Delta Force who are deeply engaged, even now while we're talking, helping people get out of Afghanistan. I mean, you know, many weeks after we supposedly had gotten the job done, we still haven't gotten the job done. And I understand that you've personally been contacted about helping evacuate people, which must be, for a singer, it must be a little bit unusual to suddenly find yourself in the middle of real-life dramas involving truly desperate people. Yeah, I like the man in the high castle, but I don't like this alternate universe we're living in. It's actually a disgrace that people in Afghanistan and citizens feel that they cannot trust their own State Department. They have to reach out to some singer guy. As depressing as this whole episode is, and the broken American promise, I do take great hope in these incredible people who have drained their bank accounts, quit their jobs, are down in Afghanistan as we speak, impersonating Taliban, rescuing not just our citizens, but folks that fought alongside us, maybe saved our soldiers' lives. And that does give me hope. And it is surreal. And I also have to give a lot of credit to Congress. Tom Cotton, who's been helping me. Congressman Waltz, who's been helping me connect the dots. You know, I'm just kind of a guy on a switchboard. I'm not down there. But everybody's coming together to do the right thing. So that does give me hope for our country, even though our government seems to forgot who we are. So as you were finishing up the song and you were listening to yourself at this very early process of creativity, what was it you hoped the audience, the American people, would take from the song? I didn't have a big intention, but once the song was done, I already saw the media moving on. And there's a line in the song, as you heard, that says, I can't hear her scream if she's not on TV. And to me, I was hoping that the song would keep Afghanistan in the forefront. You know, I fear that the song will probably be more resonant even six months, a year from now than it is now. It's only going to get worse. But as you said, songs have a way of capturing the public's attention in a way speeches don't. I saw it with Superman in 9-11. And it's doing that for some. You know, of course, unfortunately, the mainstream media has shunned the song. Big tech seems to want to shadow ban the song. And I reached out to everyone in the mainstream media. I wrote personal emails. And as you know, they agree with our sentiments. But I just feel we're so tribal that everybody's afraid to alienate their audience. So if the song helps keep Afghanistan on the front foot and it kind of speaks for those who feel they're silent, that's great. But we still have a long way to go. I have some other mission plans. I'm making an actual music video. I took my day off in D.C. and shot me playing the song in front of the White House. So I have other tools to keep Americans engaged in Afghanistan, because until we admit our complicity, you know, shame is something that I understand nobody wants to think about. We don't want to internalize shame. We want to kind of dismiss it. But until we admit our complicity, come to grips with what we did, I think this shame will continue to fester and our moral conscience will just continue to erode. So hopefully my song could be one part of keeping Afghanistan and the people there in our minds and in our hearts. You know, I think one of the examples of the authenticity and integrity with which you approach this was the decision you made about where the proceeds from the sale of the song will go. Because we want all of our listeners to realize that they have a chance here to participate directly in helping you help other people. Well, thank you. There's kind of two components that we're working with. One is the Gary Sinise Foundation, my buddy Gary, who is our Bob Hope of this generation, who does a lot of mental wellness for our troops. So I've already spoken to Gary 
we're going to put into process a package helping our Afghan vets. So if you watch the song on YouTube, if you stream it, those proceeds will go to Gary. And also, I'm developing some relationships with Afghan charities, particularly one that works with Afghan musicians. You know, many of the children's orchestra was able to escape, but not all of them. So I'm working with them to continue to try to get all of the students out, all of the Afghan artists. You know, you might remember in the beginning of the Taliban entrance to Kabul, they pulled a folk singer, Fawad Andarabi, and murdered him in front of his house. So I'm trying to really help and support the artists there. And isn't it sad that we live in a world where a folk singer is pulled and murdered from his house? You know, 20 years ago, that person would be on the cover of Rolling Stone. There would be benefit concerts for the artists of Afghanistan. But our music community is crickets. And to me, that is a disgrace. So whatever I can do with this song to help the Afghan artists, maybe do a concert on the mall next Memorial Day, I'm going to continue to do that with some great folks helping me along the way. Well, of course, as you point out, we knew going in that the Taliban would ban music because they'd banned music before. We knew that they would dominate women and coerce them and force them back into their homes. They did it before. I mean, none of this stuff is new. We have an entire block of people who reject reality. And it's fascinating because you can't have a serious conversation with them because they reject reality. So if you say to them, you're comfortable with the Taliban, well, you know, they kill gays, they kill musicians, they want a society with women having no role outside the house, they just shrug. We have a tribe of know-nothings, learn-nothings, see-nothings, hear-nothings, and think-nothings, and they're sadly currently the dominant tribe in terms of television and the universities and the White House. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. 
or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You've had a very interesting career. And I noticed that Superman, which became almost the unofficial anthem after 9-11, but you'd actually released it four months before 9-11. Now, what led you to do Superman? And were you surprised by how it suddenly caught fire and sold huge numbers around the world? Yeah, of course. I mean, 20 years later, I still have a hard time putting my head around it. As mentioned, I wrote Superman a couple years before 9-11. You know, it was kind of a song about the frustration of the music business, unable to be heard, it's not easy to be me. I certainly couldn't write that song now. I've actually met people with real challenges. It's pretty damn easy to be most of us. But at that time, the song was kind of becoming a hit around the world. And it was a unique song because at the time, the piano was not on the radio. It, It was not the age of Billy Joel and Elton John. It was the age of Lilith Fair and boy bands and grunge music. And so the song had a unique place. And I was actually in London on 9-11. And uh, like all of us, watched the first plane hit and was in shock. And the second plane started calling everybody I knew in New York. But I didn't realize the impact of the song till I got back. And you remember, you know, there were no planes for a week. And I took a plane from London. I landed at O'Hare. I literally kissed the tarmac and I started seeing how many news organizations were using Superman to pay tribute to the firefighters who ran into those buildings and showed us who real heroes are. And then, as you mentioned, I was asked to play the concert for New York, which, and again, in another universe, it would have been the highlight of my life. Every living influence of mine was on that stage. You know, Paul McCartney, Elton Billy, you know, Clapton, Townsend. But that night, it didn't matter. And to be able to play Superman at Madison Square Garden to those 20,000 workers who'd been down at ground zero, going through unimaginable you know, pain and suffering, digging through the rubble, it really showed me how music can make a difference. You know, When The Who played and blew the roof off Madison Square Garden, I think those people probably cried and screamed for the first time in a month. And it was an awakening to me how music matters more than charts and sales and hits and all that stuff. And even 20 years later, when I play Superman, it has that resonance, especially after this 20th anniversary. So I'm blessed that I had a song that helped folks when we needed it. And hopefully this new song can do a little bit of that as well. And I have to say, just for everybody who's listening to us, who has no quite an idea of who you really are, one of my favorite places, in fact, we did a podcast with one of the leaders at the Jet Propulsion Lab who had developed the Martian lander. And your dad is an astrophysicist at the Jet Propulsion Lab. 
your mother's a piano teacher. You start taking piano lessons when you're only two years old. I mean, no wonder you learned to play the piano pretty well. Well, it wasn't as cool as going down to JPL in the 70s and playing Star Trek on their mainframe. Now, that was a highlight. And yeah, I had so much fun. My dad would bring home the initial pictures of Titan and the Mariner spacecraft. You know, the 70s was kind of the golden age of music. And it was also the golden age of our space flight. And JPL had the greatest minds and the freedom and luxury to explore the universe. And I couldn't ask for a better childhood. And I'm so glad you brought that up. I know you're well into space and the opportunities there. And we have some exciting things going on right now in space, you know, in the private industry. I'm very encouraged by what Mr. Musk and some of the other folks and Mr. Branson are doing. Well, I tweeted the other day that William Shatner going into space at 90, since I'm 78, it gave me encouragement that I may have a future and be able to live out my fantasies. And of course, you're so much younger than I am, you'll probably end up on Mars writing a whole new song as a tribute to looking back at Earth from the Red Planet. Oh, that would be a dream come true. Wouldn't that be wild to have you do a concert on the Red Planet, singing your new hit song about the Red Planet? The thing about being American is we can dream. Now, I also have to point out that, you know, it's not just that you hung out, but you actually graduated summa cum laude with a degree in applied math from UCLA. This is not my vision of the typical singer hanging out, you know, working the way through. And then you had the big break because you met your wife, who happens to be a music publisher, (laughs) when she heard you play in a coffee house. You know, the first date is a business deal. I mean... (laughs) You've had a very interesting life. Yeah, you are right. It's funny. It's like, yeah, you do the math degree so you can get a job when the whole thing collapses. And who would have known it was just fate on Melrose and Vine when this successful music publisher walks in and says, I can get people record deals. And I was, of course, enamored by her the moment I met her. It took her two years to see the light on me. But we had the experience of growing together and experiencing all the ups and downs of the industry. And You know, she was very kind of torn on blood in my hands, too, because she knew the impact it could have. But, you know, she also knew that the risk we were taking. But I've been blessed to have her on this whole adventure. And it's actually made it so much more fun, as you know, you know, to share your experiences with your partner. You know, she's the best. And she always tells me when the songs aren't good. So, you know, you need those editors in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that happens to my writing with Callista. She's a really good editor. I'm not. And so she'll read some of my stuff and go, you really got to write slower and actually know what the heck you're doing, which I find a little (laughs) challenging. But, you know, this is one of my favorite podcasts, both because you're a very interesting guy, but also because now I can say to my daughter, Jackie Cushman, that I have done exactly what she wanted. She will be thrilled. She'll be telling all of her friends because she had such a great time in New York, loved the concert, was all over me about it. And I think, frankly, You're an even more fascinating guest than she sold you as. So I'm going to call her when we get done and tell her that she was right on and that getting to know you is a real thrill. Now, I do want to just take one minute and go back and remind people, and I want you to help me remind people, that if they buy the song, that they are actually contributing to Gary Sinise's foundation and to efforts to help Afghan people get away from the Taliban dictatorship and that this is something you're doing because you believe in it so deeply. Yes, and I think it's also important, too, as I said, the mainstream media has shunned the song. It'll never get a one airplay spin on commercial radio, and I think it really is an underground grassroots effort. Even more important than playing the song, it's share the song, especially with veterans, 
let them know that there's this song out there for them. And there's other songs. And the more that we can get it around through the grassroots and let folks hear it, I think especially for our soldiers, it'll give them some solace that they're not alone. So I appreciate everybody. You know, it's fun. It kind of reminds me of you kind of in your initial efforts with the Contract for America. You're kind of alone. Nobody's listening to you. You're out on a log all by yourself. And the way it works is through grassroots. And to me, this song is having that same impact. So yes, play the song, you know, support Gary Sinise Foundation, share the song, and speak up. If you have any misgivings about speaking what you believe, speak up. We are, I think, the majority, but this really is this culture war. And this song is just one little piece of freedom, letting people speak their peace and respecting that from all sides. So speak up, support those congressmen and those folks who believe like the speaker and I do that America is about all views, all sides, and that a song that only gets support from one side of the aisle is not what we're about. So I appreciate everybody doing just that. Yeah, and, and we will have a link on our show page so people can go and buy the song and help with Gary Sinise's foundation. John, I really want to thank you for joining me today. I think what you're doing to use your voice to really call out the key players in the Biden administration for their tragic failure in their handling of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. I think it's a great service to our country. It really helps continue your tradition of honoring the military and the men and women on the ground there who were caught up in the chaos. And I do want to remind our listeners that they should both listen to Blood on My Hands, tell their friends and neighbors, send it out to their Facebook list or their email list. John is donating the proceeds to charities helping both Afghan refugees as well as members of the military working with the Gary Sinise Foundation. So this is a really patriotic opportunity for people to make a difference. It's an honor to me, John, that you would join us. I want to thank you. And on behalf of Jackie Cushman, I want to thank you for what was apparently a great concert that she was allowed to attend in New York. So hopefully she'll get a chance to see you in Atlanta at some point. But thank you for being with me today. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And thank you, Jackie Cushman. It's been an honor. And thank you for everything you've done for our country and your clarity. Thank you to my guest, John Androsik. You can get a link to buy his new song, Blood on My Hands, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newtsworld, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.